Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. After over two decades in the heart of America's spotlight, Hillary Clinton is still sort of an unknown quantity for most Americans. That's thanks to one factor and one factor only, the love and worshipful attention of the mainstream media. Over the weekend, no less than six terrible stories broke that would have crippled anyone else's campaign. First, we learned Clinton aide and confidant and super special absolutely platonic friend Huma Abedin acted as assistant editor on the Radical Journal of Muslim Minority Affairs, where she greenlit pieces that stated that, quote, pushing mothers out into the open labor market is a clear demonstration of a lack of respect of womanhood and motherhood, among other things. Next, we found out that Clinton had blamed former Secretary of State Colin Powell for giving her the idea to set up a private email server at a dinner party, and that Powell not only denied giving her the idea, but also denied ever having had a dinner conversation on the topic. Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, who Clinton also claimed was there for the conversation, she said she wasn't there either. Then we found out the Clinton State Department oversaw about $6 billion in mismanagement, fraud, and incompetence. Then also it was revealed that Clinton's pay-for-play, Clinton Foundation donations, in exchange for access to the State Department, ran deeper than originally thought. Also, we learned the FBI and Justice Department are investigating the Podesta Group, co-founded by Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta, over its own ties with former Ukrainian president and Vladimir Putin ally Viktor Yanukovych. Finally, we found out the FBI uncovered about 15,000 emails Clinton said never existed and that she failed to disclose to the State Department. Presumably, these all do not concern yoga and Chelsea Clinton's wedding plans. So, what was the media's response to this tidal wave of incompetence and corruption? Well, they focused on Trump, naturally. That's what they always do. And that's why Trump became the Republican nominee in the first place. See, the media once painted former Governor Mitt Romney the way they paint Trump. They excoriated anyone who dared to ask about President Obama's botched Benghazi policy. They scoffed at Romney's suggestion that Obama's Russian policy had emboldened Moscow. They yelled at legislators like Michelle Bachman for connecting Huma Abedin to Islamic radicalism via that same Journal of Muslim Minority Affairs. By the time Trump came along, the American people had already rejected the media's capacity for truth-telling. So when the media targeted Trump and Trump didn't back down, many Republicans resonated to Trump's call. They believed that Trump would hit Clinton with all the material the media had covered up and ignored. So far, of course, that hasn't really panned out. Trump's been pretty distractible, but that doesn't mean he couldn't. If Trump were to target Clinton, he'd be doing the job Americans thought that they nominated him to do, exposing the empress who's protected by the media Praetorian Guard. If he doesn't, Clinton will become president, scandals and all. The media are still the gatekeepers. They still have no intention of allowing Hillary Clinton to become the story when Trump's tweets can be. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty. So here we are. Lots to get to today here on the Ben Shapiro Show. I want to start with something a little bit different. So instead of talking presidential politics, we'll get to that in just a little while. The Trump flip on immigration and Coulter right now, maybe we, we have to take away her belt and her shoelaces. 
um, because she may on the, be, be on the verge of suicide. We'll play audio of Ann later explaining that she's maybe she, she's about five minutes from driving down to the local, local mobile station uh, and dousing herself in gasoline and lighting a match. We'll talk about why that is. But we're going to start today with transgender identity. So the, the federal government has decided it is absolutely vital and important that everybody in America believe that men can become women and women can become men. And it's so vital that they're going to force children to engage in this fantasy. And if you as a parent say no, if you as a parent say no, then presumably they will come in and take your kids. That's really where this is going. So the reason this comes up today is because there's this school district in Maryland, and they've released a video that's sort of an informative video directed toward administrators and teachers. And uh, and here is the video and, and them basically pushing the transgender uh, agenda. This, this doof does it. No matter what side of this issue one personally falls on, however, what is clear is this. At Anne Arundel County Public Schools, our charge is to fully support every student in their pursuit of reaching their full potential. We owe students who identify as transgender the same levels of support as we do gay students, poor students, rich students, special education students, ELL students, or any other group of students. Simply put, in a school system that aims to elevate all students and eliminate all gaps, all must mean all, no exceptions. What you are about to view is a training session conducted in June that covers the latest guidance and legal opinions regarding this matter. Clearly this is an evolving issue, and the guidance from the courts or elsewhere may change in the coming months or years. We will do everything we can to convey any such changes to you in a timely manner so that you can best support our students. Meanwhile, please listen carefully to what you are about to hear. A formal set of guidelines will be provided to principals and department heads to distribute as needed. If you have general questions, please contact the Office of Student Services. Mm -hmm. If you have specific legal questions on a particular case, please contact the Office of Legal Services. Okay, he goes on in this video to explain that what ought to happen in cases where boys think they are girls and therefore want to go on overnight sleeping trips with girls, what should the school do? So according, this is serious really. According to this school district, according to that guy, Chris Christie over there, according to that dude, the idea here is that we now must not tell parents that it's even happening. We can't tell parents that this is even happening. Really, here's the, the quote from the video. He says, so many of you might be asking yourself, so I'm at an overnight field trip and I have a student who's biologically male, identifies as female, and we've worked with that student and her family and that student wants to sleep in the dorms or whatever sleeping arrangements are with the females. They don't want to sleep in a room by themselves. They want to sleep with the rest of the females. So what do we do? And the answer is they sleep with the females. That's not the easy answer. It's the right answer. And in some cases, it's going to cause issues because the private information piece doesn't allow you to share that with parents of all the other campers. Right? So that's difficult. Okay, so let's just be straight about this. This is not just him saying that they're going to notify the parents that this is their new policy. What he's saying is we won't even tell parents it's happening. We won't even tell parents it's happening. So you have a 12-year-old girl, and she goes on a sleepaway trip for a night to the local aquarium, and there's a 12-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl, and it's okay. Not only is it okay by the school district if he sleeps next to the girls, because obviously he's a girl, because he says he is. Not only is that okay, they're not even going to inform the parents about it, because it's none of the parents' business if there's a boy sleeping next to the girls. Take it a step up. They're 15 years old now. Okay, they're, they're now, They've now hit puberty, and you've got a boy who says he's a girl. And he wants to sleep in the same tent as the girls. You're not even going to tell the parents about this. You're not even, so there are two issues here. 
One is, well, really three. One is the basic biology of the situation. Boys can't become girls. Girls can't become boys. The notion that transgenderism is, a, is a, an objectively real status as far as relabeling someone from male to female is just, it's just foolish. I mean, there's no biological basis to the idea that a man who thinks he's a woman is actually a woman. There's no biological basis to that. There isn't. There's biological basis to the idea this person is suffering from a significant and dangerous mental illness, I think probably most along the lines of anorexia, you know, somebody who just has body dysmorphia, basically. But that's not the same thing as saying that this is now a girl. So the school is, number one, saying, no, this is a girl. That's number one. Number two, they're saying it's nasty and terrible, nasty and awful, if the other girls feel uncomfortable. Now, I'm old enough to remember a time when it was considered bad form bad form for a boy to wander into the girls' locker room. Why? Not because he was going to rape them, but because it makes girls feel uncomfortable to be unclad in front of boys. And it was considered an assault on women, an assault on feminism, to suggest that men should be able to walk into women's locker rooms. Right? Title IX was specifically designed with this in mind. Title IX of the Civil Rights Act was designed with this in mind, the idea that there's men and there's women, and women should be treated equally with men, with equal dignity, and their privacy should be protected. The federal government is so insane that now they're trying to reinterpret this as gender that you identify as, which, of course, means nothing, because why have separate locker rooms at all? If the idea is that the girls are so terrible because there's a guy who identifies as a girl coming into their locker room, if they're so terrible, then what's the problem if the guy identifies as a guy? Are you telling me that that these people are safer with a a guy who identifies as a girl than as a guy who identifies as a guy? Like, where's the scientific evidence to back that one up? that the normal guy is more likely to be a sexual abuser or rapist than the transgender guy. Is there any evidence to support that notion? I mean, I'm waiting for the evidence to support that notion. I'm not making the claim transgender people are outstandingly dangerous. I'm making the claim that other people are not, but the, the claim seems to be you're less dangerous to women if you're transgender than you would be if you weren't transgender, and I just don't see any evidence to back that up. I'd like to see the rates on that. So that, that's the second issue, is this, this crazy notion by the federal government that boys and girls are exactly the same. And then we get to the real issue. And the real issue is the federal government has decided that certain subjective realities can now be imposed on everyone through force of government. Now, the government says that if you believe that there's a God, and therefore you believe that, and you believe that that God gave us a Bible, and therefore you believe that it's sinful for you to take part in a same-sex wedding, the government says your subjective reality must be overruled by our version of reality in which the Bible is nonsense and you have to serve the gay couple. Right? That's what the, that's what the federal government essentially says. They say that your subjective reality as a religious person is irrelevant to our concerns. But when it comes to a transgender person saying they're a girl, then all of a sudden we have to, we have to abide by their subjective reality. We can't use any objective measures of reality. What's worse, if you as a parent object to this, they will take away your kids. That's the next step. This is where this is going. And it's, this is really dangerous stuff. This is where it's going. It's a very short step from your kid is in a bedroom with a transgender girl and we're not telling you about it to... Your kid is having transgender feelings, is having gender dysphoria, is confused about gender, not even transgender feelings, just is confused about his or her gender. You think that that's that's evidence that the kid needs some psychological help. We think that means the kid should transition. We're coming into the home and we're seizing the kid. We're coming into the home for the protection of the child. The child cannot be victimized by you and your benighted ideas about biological sex. We have to take the kid away from you. That's where this is going. And the left will deny that that's where this is going, of course, but it's obvious this is, that's where this is going. Every time, by the way, the left denies that, that their, their hardcore 
views lead to something bad, within five years, it's already led to that thing. But you can see the clear chain here. So they're already doing this with regard to homosexuality. So if you're a religious parent and you have a kid who might be worried that he's gay, might be worried that he's experiencing same-sex attraction, the left has already declared, based on absolute pseudoscience, that sexual orientation is immutable and unchanging. There is no evidence, none, that sexual orientation is immutable and unchanging. There's, it could be biological, partly. There's, certainly, it's not wholly biological. They say it could be partly biological, it could be environmental, it could be social. There are a lot of factors that go into shaping sexual orientation, which is why you'll see people like Anne Heche, you know, married to Ellen's generous, and then she, and then she leaves Ellen's generous and marries a dude. Right? You see this all the time. You see, you see guys who are straight for their entire lives, and suddenly they're gay. It could work the other way, too, except the left doesn't wish to acknowledge that there is variability and mutability to sexual orientation. So they create this fiction whereby your biological sex is irrelevant, your gender identity is inborn, you're a boy, boy born in a girl's body, which is nonsense, and your sexual orientation is inborn. You're born gay. You're born straight. You're born this. You're born that. Okay, you're born with certain inclinations. But those inclinations are impacted by environment and society and treatment and all the rest of it, just like every other human behavior. Sex is no exception. So the fact that what, they're, what they did, so here's the deal. What they did with, with the religious parent who has a kid who's worried that he might have sexual attraction to somebody of the same sex, religious parents used to say, okay, let's go to the psychiatrist and let's, let's talk about whether this is real, how severe it is, whether this is just normal kind of gender and sexual confusion that, that happens with a lot of kids. I mean, really, this happens with a lot of kids. There are a lot of kids. If you've ever had a teenage brother or sister, if you've ever been a teenager yourself, the chances are very high that you were sexually confused at one point or another. You can see it in Britain, right? I mean, Britain, there are new polls out that show that only about 40% of British young people consider themselves completely straight, right? That's as opposed to people above the age of 60, 90% of them consider themselves completely straight. That's because how people view their own sexual orientation changes over time. Their attractions may change over time. The left has decided it's entirely biological. The next step has been, okay, if you have a kid, you're a religious person, and your kid has sexual attraction to another kid of the same sex, and you say, okay, well, let's, let's treat that. Let's talk about whether that's a good thing. Let's, let's see if you're, if you're actually gay or if you're straight, if there's a way to, to alter your sexual behavior and your sexual attraction. That's now illegal in the state of California. It's illegal in the state of California. So if you have a gay kid and the gay kid wants to become straight, that's legal in the state of California. If you have a straight kid and, and, or if you have a gay kid and the gay kid wants to become straight, that's, that's illegal in the state of California for you to take that kid to a psychiatrist or to a psychologist because that's, that's harmful to the child. You can see that's going to be the next step here. The next step is going to be you have a kid. Your kid's three years old. Your kid decides one day they want to dress up as a boy, as a girl, and they decide they want to dress up as a boy. And you say, honey, cut it out. And then the kid goes to school and tells the teacher, you know, I was at home and I wanted to dress up as a boy and mommy told me I couldn't. And next thing you know, the teacher is calling Child Protective Services saying that you're damaging the psyche of the child because obviously if the kid, the three-year-old says that she is a he, then, then she must be right. She is absolutely a he. You can see where this is going because the left has to impose its own version of reality on everybody else. And the reason the left has to impose its own version of reality on everybody else is because the utopia of the left, what the left truly seeks, is a fully androgenized society in which male and female have nothing, there, there's no separation. They're, tr they're trying to create an excuse for bigger government, in essence, because the truth is we all have various differences, male, female, tall, short, strong, weak. We all have various differences that we're born with. And... Those differences contribute to our outcomes in life. The left doesn't like that. So what the left wants to do is just pretend that there are no differences, that in the end, all differences can be wiped away. 
if we just change society around us. So men can become women, women can become men. Gay people can't become straight, but straight society should just assume that all kids who have any sort of sexual attraction at any point to another kid of the same sex, those people are mutably gay. And all of this is designed to lead to familial confusion, larger government control, and an attempt to break down the family structure so that when we are all genderless androgynous widgets who are fully mutable in terms of our sex, then the government can step in and make everybody equal. So the government is going to make sure the, the government uses the excuse of bullying in order to cram down its own version of reality. And they cram down their own version of reality in order to assert their power over you and your ability to parent and your ability to take care of your own kid. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a little while, but you have to go to Daily Wire for the rest of that to subscribe to the rest of the show. Lots more coming up. We have an epic episode of Good Trump, Bad Trump coming up. We also have a uh, we have an amazing song, an amazing song from the alt-right that I cannot wait to play for you. It involves some of the best saxophoning you will ever hear. So we'll get to that shortly. Go to Daily Wire to be a subscriber. Eight bucks a month buys you access to Daily Wire. Plus, you get to be part of the mailbag, which we do tomorrow. So if you want to have your questions answered by yours truly and your life made better, then go to dailywire.com. Pay that eight bucks a month. And uh, this brings to an end our Facebook and our YouTube. But you can listen on iTunes or SoundCloud, where we are, in fact, the number one conservative podcast in America. And thank you so much for being a part of it. But there's more to come. So stick around. Okay, so now on to the presidential race. So there's been a lot of hubbub over the past 48 hours because Donald Trump is beginning to soften on on illegal immigration. And I have all sorts of jokes that I could make about that, but I won't. But here's Donald Trump. Yesterday, he's sharing the stage with, uh, with Border Patrol mothers of people killed by illegals. And here he is standing next to Sean Hannity talking about it. 19 years... 19 years as a border patrol agent has taught me one thing. Our borders are not secure. 40 to 60% effectiveness is not a secure border. And that's what we have today. We only arrest 40 to 60% of those who cross the border. Donald Trump will change that. And it needs to be changed. Your country is not safe. Our homes are not safe unless Donald Trump changes the security of the border. And he will do that. And that's why we endorsed him. Thank you very much. Okay, so that's the Border Patrol agent saying that your homes will, will be safe when Trump is, is president. He's, going to, he's really going to, to make things more stringent. Okay, then Donald Trump goes on TV with Sean Hannity. And Sean Hannity coaches him and back massages him through this, this, sh- this shift, this pivot that he's now doing on illegal immigration. Here's Donald Trump saying, I'm for softening. We're going to soften it. We have to. We just have, we have to. Here he is. But you have really great people wanting and so proudly wanting to come into a country. And now what you'd be doing is you'd take people away from that line. And it's, uh, it's Is really there any of part of the law that you might be able to change that would accommodate those people that contribute to society, have been law-abiding, have kids here, would there be any room in your mind or you, because I know you had a meeting this week with I did. Hispanic leaders. I did. I did. I had a meeting with great people, no. great Hispanic leaders, and there certainly can be a softening because we're not looking to hurt people. We want people. We have some great people in this country. We have some great, great people in this country. So, but we're going to follow the laws of this country. And, you know, we have, what people don't realize, what people don't realize, we have very, very strong laws. Yeah, but Obama doesn't follow them. No, they don't follow 
Okay, so he's going to have a softening. We're going to soften. We got to do it. We got to be nice to people now. We got Okay. Flashback to, like, last October. And here is Donald Trump last October talking with Matt. Uh, who is this? I think it's Matt Lauer over here. Talking specifically about what he is going to do. But I don't want 250,000 people coming into the United States. We can't handle How it. How many would you take? I would take none. No, I would take none. I would take none. Right now, I would take but I'll take better care of them, Matt, because what I would, I would take a big swatch of land and I'd have lots of other people, including Germany. Germany's crazy what they're doing. They are having riots in their streets right now. These people are coming in and they're having a lot of problems with crime and other things. We have to help these people. I'm okay with it, but they're not coming to the United States, Matt. More. Okay, he continued along those lines. That that was actually not the relevant part. The relevant part is when he he actually said at one point, "We will deport everybody." He was asked, "Will you deport the 11 million illegal immigrants?" We got to do it. We got to do it. Okay, so now obviously he's flipped, and now he's softening it up. And Donald and uh, and Sean Hannity is just massaging his leg all the way through the process. Meanwhile, the the mean and, and Mike Pence, by the way, is still saying Mike Pence is, is is VP candidate. He says, "Don't worry, we're still working on the policy. We haven't really figured this thing out yet." Pence, the running mate of Donald Trump, and what Trump has said or not said, and that's almost more important in the last few days, is that all of this, when it comes to deportation, is up for negotiation, subject to review, subject to consultation with Congress. At one point in my interview, Governor Pence said, we'll work all these details out in the coming days. And another party said, well, we'll sort that out with Congress. Well, you're not going to sort it out with Congress in the coming days. That would have to wait for a potential Trump Pence administration. So reporting on it, Mike Pence continued by saying that his that Trump's immigration policy is going to reflect compassion and humanity. Beyond that, I just think, you know, stay tuned. Another one of these major speeches is coming up. Donald Trump will address the issue of of immigration. I guarantee you that he's going to be a man of his word, securing our borders, enforcing our laws and whatever else we do will be will be tough, but fair. And it will reflect uh, the kind of compassion and humanity that the American people would expect, and frankly, that proceeds out of the character, <clears throat> excuse me, the character of, of this good man. I mean, the, Donald Trump is a, I saw it in Louisiana on the streets last Friday, uh, where he was embracing families that had been caught up in that hundred years flood. This is a deeply compassionate man, but he's a man committed to the rule of law. I think the American people know that, and you're going to see that unpacked in the weeks ahead. Believe me, believe me. So he's so so. The new spiel is that we're we're getting compassion and humanity from Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Jeff Sessions is it's it's kind of funny to watch some of the people who jumped on the Trump train specifically because they liked Trump on immigration. Now, full disclosure. A few years ago, probably a couple of years ago, I had a, a dinner with Jeff Sessions and Stephen Miller, who's now the, the campaign, one of the campaign directors, policy directors for Donald Trump, and Ann Coulter. And the three of us were, I mean, we're talking like two, till two o'clock in the morning, sitting up, having beer and talking immigration, because it's all Ann Coulter and Jeff Sessions really like to talk about is immigration. And they were both very much on the same page. And of course, both of them have jumped behind Trump, largely on the basis of Trump's harsh stance on immigration. And now you can see them clinging to the slender reed of of Donald Trump's honor and dignity, right? Here, here's Jeff Sessions saying, no, 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 no. Trump hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. Come on. 
Is that true? Has he changed his view on deportation? He has not changed his view, and but he had a great meeting with people who had different ideas, and I understand I wasn't there, but he had a good discussion. He listened to all the different views. Look, you, we need a lawful system of immigration. Trump is absolutely clear and correct on that. We must end the lawlessness first. We can't talk about these other issues until that occurs. I think that remains his firm position. So, so, so we can't. So we, okay, we can stop it there. This is this is not his original position. His original position was not we build the wall and then we worry about the people here. His original position was he was going to deport everybody. And by the way, let me mention something about this wall. The chief problem we have with illegal immigration has nothing to do with the wall. Okay, the physical barrier between the United States and Mexico is not the problem. There's a giant river that runs through Texas that separates Mexico from Texas. It's a giant physical barrier. People are still crossing in massive numbers because they're just floating right across the Rio Grande, and then they are walking up to ICE officers knowing that they're going to be de detained but not deported. Okay, so the deportations are the core of what Trump is talking about. Ann Coulter last night looked like she was beside herself. I mean, she, she, I you know, I, I, I've been friends with Ann for a very long time, but Ann Coulter looked like she was ready to take a plunge off a very high building uh, in the middle. Of the, she's on with Chris Matthews. I'm going to She's talking about her new book, In Trump We Trust, which, by the way, I mean, Anne, come on. In Trump We Trust, really? Like, I, know, I know the inflammatory title thing, and you do it for, for selling books, but In Trump We Trust, like he's actually God now, In Trump We Trust. I, I will say there's a certain irony in writing a book called In Trump We Trust, and literally the day of your book launch, he reneges on the only issue you care about. Remember, Ann Col it's not that Ann Coulter, her main issue is immigration. It's that it's the only issue for Ann. And you can watch me interview Ann about this. I did an hour-long interview when her last book, Adios America, came out. I did an hour-long interview with, with her. It was on C-SPAN, in which we talked about all of the gradations of her position and what she felt about it. We went through her book basically chapter by chapter. This is all she cares about, and it was on that basis that she supported Trump. And here is Ann basically saying, well, if Trump flips, I don't know what I'm going to do. What's Trump saying to the American people right now about immigration? What did all that up to? How is it different than Obama? How is it different from all the candidates he just beat? I go through. That's one of the five but talking he said points he's gonna, every he's gonna politician throw out the, says. He's going to throw out the deport the felons. Well, it's very different from the actual policy, but they all say that, and it just sounds very consultant yeah. to me. This could be the shortest book tour ever if he's really softening his position on immigration, but I don't, I don't think he is. Okay, so she says that she's, she's, she doesn't think he is, but she seems a little uncertain. I know what Anne looks like when she's certain, and she seems a little uncertain here. Uh, and it is kind of humorous to say that she's going to have the shortest book tour ever if Trump reneges on his promise. Now, I will say this. I don't think this is going to have a major impact on Trump. I think most of the people who are Trump fans believe one of a few things. They believe that, that they can trust him, and therefore he's either lying now and, and believed what he did before, or they believe that he's just, it's just a negotiating position because he's a businessman. You know, they believe that or they just don't care. I think that if Donald Trump said tomorrow that he was going to amnesty and give full citizenship to all, all 11 million illegal immigrants, at least half of the people who support him would nod along and say better than Hillary. Really, because this is, he, he has gained a, a serious support base and, and a lot of personal brand loyalty. Uh, and and he, this is the problem. You know, a lot of people are on my case. Why don't you just jump on the Trump train? Just jump on the Trump train. Okay, one of the reasons why I think it's important that people at least have one foot off, even if you're on the Trump train, you should have one foot off, is if you wish for him to be held accountable for his policy, if you actually want him to do the things you want him to do, you have to keep pressuring him. Donald Trump is not a trustworthy man. Even his supporters should know this. Okay, unless you are pressuring him from the outside and cheering him from the inside when he does something you like, he can flip on you in a heartbeat. I'm trying to think of a major policy issue he hasn't flipped on other than free trade. Because now he's basically flipped on all of them. 
So if you want to keep pressuring him, you need to pressure him from the outside. It's important to keep up the pressure. That's why, actually, I respect Dan for saying that, because at least Dan is, is with it enough to understand that if she truly cares about immigration, she's going to have to hold his feet to the fire if he flips on it. Okay, meanwhile... I, I'm, this is this is a disappointing this is a disappointing thing you know so that was that was some bad Trump but we're gonna do uh, a final round I promised good Trump bad Trump just so we could play the theme so good Trump bad Trump let's do it. Good Trump, bad Trump, which one will we get today? Alrighty, let's begin with good Trump. So here is good Trump. Trump ran a, he has a new ad targeting Hillary Clinton. Uh, this is from the RNC and and this is what he should be hitting pretty much every day. And provided all my emails that could possibly be work-related. Well, what I say to that is I turned over everything I was obligated to turn over, and then I moved on. This morning that there are 15,000 new unreleased emails. And now the State Department has everything that they could have. Today, the State Department confirmed a report that the FBI found 15,000 emails. No, no, it was allowed. We, you know, one of my predecessors uh, did the same thing. Previous secretaries of state have said they did the same thing. The truth is she was using the private email server for a year before I sent her a memo telling her what I did. My predecessors had uh, engaged in a similar practice. And that he didn't have a private server. And that she was doing it before this advice that he gave her. Damage has been done. There's no question. Good ad, right? And says, will she ever tell the truth at the end? And of course, she will never tell the truth. So that's, that's good Trump. And if it were, again, if, if he just kept targeting Hillary Clinton, he'd be in good shape. Then there is bad Trump. So Kellyanne Conway, who I've said, seems like the most with it of the new team, because I think that Steve Bannon is just um, a, uh, he is a tsunami of garbage. Uh, Steve Bannon is, is one of the two new entries to the Trump campaign. Kellyanne Conway seems like the rational side of the team. She did, at least until a couple of days ago. She did, t- today, a couple of days ago, Kellyanne Conway came out and she said, the polls are real. We're losing right now, but we can bring it back up. The problem is the polls haven't moved in the last week and a half. Trump had a pretty good week and a half, aside from that campaign blunder where the shift in, in the campaign went poorly. Now, Kellyanne Conway is buying into my least favorite thing in the world. She's joined the insane Trump clown posse of poll deniers. Magnets, how do they work? And don't tell me any of them scientists. Okay, here's, here's Kellyanne Conway explaining that there's no such thing as a real poll. Donald Trump performs consistently better in online polling, where a human being is not talking to another human being about what he or she may do in the election. Why is that, do you think? It's because it's become socially desirable, especially if you're a college-educated person in the United States of America, to say that you're against Donald Trump. The hidden Trump vote in this country is, is a very significant proposition. Have you been able to put a number on that? Yes. Group. What do you think that is? I can't discuss it. Oh, come on. No, it's a project we're doing internally. I call uh-huh. it the undercover Trump voter, but it's real. The undercover Trump voters. It's like, it's like undercover, what is it, undercover cop or undercover, what's the name of the show? There's a show, under, whatever. Undercover boss. It's undercover boss, except it's undercover pollsters. Um, and, uh, and so she's saying there are a bunch of secret Trump voters, and they're sitting around um, and they, they won't pick up the phone, or if you ask them, they'll say they vote for Hillary Clinton or Gary Johnson. But secretly, secretly, deep down in the cockles of their hearts, they're going to vote for Donald Trump. Okay. No, they're not. Okay? The fact is the polls reflect reality as it currently stands, and the polls are not good for Donald Trump. This is, this is myth-making of the highest order, and it doesn't do any good because it doesn't encourage Trump to get any better. If she's suggesting that Trump is actually winning when he's actually losing, this is stupid. Again, 
Polls are just polls. This drives me up a wall, as you know. This drives me fully crazy. If the online polls that have been taken are more beneficial to Trump because most of the online polls are not official. Most of the online polls are like Drudge polls. I, I love Drudge Report, but let's be real. Drudge Report, uh, Drudge Report watchers, Drudge Report viewers, the, the, the people who go to his page, are pro-Trump. Okay, they, they, when, when it shows that he won every single debate, I loved that during the primaries where Trump would say, that all the polls show that I won every single debate. All of them show that all the people love me. All the people. Right? I, but then you go to the Drudge poll. And it's like, yes, because Drudge likes you, right? So, of course, all the people at Drudge like you. The polls are not lying. Donald Trump is losing. They need to stop with this kind of crap. I mean, she said two days ago, we have to stop attacking the referee. And there she is attacking the referee. There's the secret undercover Trump voter. Um, again, I've never met one of these people. The Trump supporters are the loudest people in the political biosphere. I mean, they, they are the loudest I don't know who are all these secret – I understand. This is based on something called the Bradley effect. Uh, back in the 1980s, there was a guy who was running for mayor of Los Angeles named Tom Bradley, and, and Tom Bradley was slated to win, and he lost. And the reason he lost is apparently because there were a bunch of people who said they wanted to vote for the black guy but then didn't because Tom Bradley was black. That is not happening here, okay? There are not a bunch of people who say that they're, they're not voting Trump, but then they're secretly voting Trump. If they are, we're talking about inside of 1%. It is not a large number. Okay, with all that said – Hillary Clinton's campaign is just the same kind of crap show, except it's much worse because Hillary is much more corrupt than Trump. As I mentioned at the top of the program, Hillary's been hit by all these scandals. The newest one from the Associated Press, at least half of the people who she visited with while she was Secretary of State gave money to the Clinton Foundation, which is amazing. Like, I have lunch with a lot of people, and very few of them pay me for lunch. I think that's happened one time, that somebody actually paid me to go to dinner with them. But, but that's, that's pretty rare. Hillary Clinton, there are 150-some people, and more than 80 of them gave money to the Clinton Foundation and suddenly found themselves in her, themselves in her good graces. She's super-duper corrupt. And so the, the Democratic Party is splitting in the same way that the Republican Party is now splitting over Trump and immigration. You're starting to see some Democrats come out in Hillary's defense, and some Democrats are, are running for the hills. So here is one Hillary surrogate suggesting that, that Hillary's pay-to-play is really—it's not a big deal. All of this is just fine. She set up the meeting. Who am I sets up the meeting between Hillary Clinton and the Crown Prince of Bahrain? Is that not but providing I, services you, for the Clinton Foundation? Had you been able to put the actual response up, you would have seen that it said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, have already received this request through proper channels. And then you see, so in I'm the meeting... I'm glad you brought that up. Through proper channels, Hillary Clinton didn't want to have the meeting. She had said the meeting shouldn't no. be scheduled. No, she did. She said the meeting, <laughs> don't schedule it right now. I'm not sure I want to be there for it at the time. When Doug Bann talked to Huma Abedin, then Huma Abedin made it happen. That's not the chronology of it, A. And B, when she said she actually, didn't actually, want to be the there, she said she wasn't sure whether she was going to be in D.C. or back in New York and basically not sure, taking sure. appointments. But let's be clear here. Bahrain has been for decades an important ally to the United States. They're one of our most important major allies who's not a member of NATO. The fifth naval fleet, which is the fleet that protects the Middle East and is America's presence John, for the Middle East. Come, wait, wait, you've got oh, to yeah, go yeah, on yeah. and on we about... We don't care about the fleet. We care about the $16 well, you know million. I actually, I actually think the people in the Middle East and the people in Israel and this the people in the play. world care about the fleet. That is based out of Bahrain. And so what we see here is a let, an email between two people and a meeting that should happen Whoa. between the Secretary of State and the Crown Prince of Bahrain happening and Doug Ban happening to lob in an email. Shortly after, shortly after this exchange. Uh, 
Shortly after this exchange, Hillary Clinton supporter Christine Quinn was put into a white coat and dragged away to the asylum uh, for screaming like a banshee. But I love that, that she basically says – I love that the reporter who's standing in for Jake Tapper there on CNN says, yeah, Hillary rejected the meeting. She got the bribe, and then she went to the meeting. And Christine Quinn's like, yeah, but the, but the bribe achieved something good. It's like, that's not the point. The point is that she was bribed, right? I mean, the point is that the Clinton Foundation receives things, and in exchange, they give favors. Howard Dean does the same routine. The, the, when, when he's not screaming wildly about going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House, uh, he, also, he also says that um, we should stop worrying about Hillary's emails. So he, the, the full Clinton defense wing is, has been deployed. We've seen nothing in 30,000 of them. I doubt we're going to see anything of its substance in the next 14,000. This is all the Republicans have. They've wasted $7 million of the taxpayers' money. They're going to waste a lot more in the next 77 days. And this is not going to be an issue except for those people who don't like Hillary Clinton. Okay, like, first of all, like, you care about wasting $7 million. You're a Democrat, okay? In, in the last second that I spent saying that, we spent $7 million on the federal level. But second of all, he says, we've, seen, we've already seen 30,000 Hillary emails and we haven't seen anything of interest. Really? Like nothing of interest? Like all the classified material that the FBI said that she, that, that she was using a personal email for? There's nothing of interest there? And we didn't see anything of interest in the fact that she and Huma Abedin were, were coordinating with the Clinton Foundation directly on activities? Nothing there? But this is the myth that's been put out there. So that's one side of the Democratic Party. The other side is, is you know, people who are, are beginning to realize that this may, in fact, be a problem. Chris Matthew, I might say, man, comes out of the show. He was very upset about this last night. Hillary Clinton, I don't know why you can't just keep, uh, keep yourself in control, Hillary Clinton. Come on. First of all, you're sitting there, you're wearing a yellow coat, looking like you killed Chairman Mao and took his wardrobe. Hey, Hillary Clinton, he's the worst. Go. Why is Bill Clinton saying foundation? I'm not going to be head of it anymore if she gets elected president? Why is he pulling out if it's not a problem? Well, he they were always well. They were always going to try to figure out. Well, it'll be the first time that he will be. They just the announced first, this week, the Stephanie. They're He's not going to take money from overseas anymore. They're not going to take money from. They are admitting if, there's a conflict. If, Everybody watching now knows that when you give to a political po a politician, you expect access. When they call up and say, "I want he wants to meet with you sometime this week," you get the meeting. Okay, so there you go. I mean, that's, and he's right. He's right. So there's chaos on the left side of the aisle, too. And if it weren't for the, the chaos on the right side of the aisle, that would make it a lot easier. But, you know, these are, this is, the, this is the, the business we have chosen, as they say. Okay, time for things I like and then some things I hate. So things I like, we've been doing sort of Israel edition. So I want to give some, some biblical criticism, a biblical criticism book that I think is really terrific. Rabbi David Foreman is the author of this one. It's called The Beast That Crouches at the Door. Um, and it's a really good biblical analysis of Adam and Eve and what, what the Bible is talking about in Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. A really, really fascinating book. You can get it on Amazon.com. Rabbi Foreman runs, a, runs an organization called Aleph Beta that uh, allows people to, to listen to classes online. Uh, and this book is really terrific. has a really fascinating take on Adam and Eve that at some point in the future, when we have more time, I'll have to explain because it really is, is quite good. So I highly recommend this book. He also wrote a book about Exodus that's really, really good. Um, so his, I, I really enjoy a, a lot of his writing. Okay, time for some things that I hate. That there's the sound of hatred. So, things I hate. Ben Carson, I'm beginning to think that, that neurosurgery can actually be an idiot savant thing. Because Ben Carson is the worst campaign surrogate ever. So Ben Carson's on national TV, and he's trying to talk up the idea that Hillary Clinton is unhealthy. I, I still, again, I still don't understand the angle here. That if you say she's unhealthy often enough, people are like, oh, she's going to die. I'll vote, for the, I'll vote for Trump. I'll back, vote for that sack of gas over there. So, so Ben Carson goes on national TV, and he wants to talk about Hillary Clinton's health. 
and why it's important. And then things kind of just go off the rails a little bit. I think that uh, somebody who is running for president of the United States, particularly if they're elderly, and that would include both major candidates, uh, should disclose their medical history. And I'm not talking about from a year ago or two years ago. I'm talking about currently. And I think uh, yeah, but that, the, but, but that again, it's common from, sense. It makes sense because as people get older, things begin to happen to them. But the implication from Rudy Giuliani, what do you think about that? Sowing a seed of doubt about a person's health based upon something he read on the Internet. Well, you know, as a physician, physicians and scientists generally will not make a diagnosis based on something that they see from a long distance. They want to have the facts. And so you would have no diagnosis yourself on Hillary Clinton, Dr. Carson? My diagnosis would be that anybody who is elderly should expose their records and we the people should know what they are because it's a very stressful job. It's not a uh, an eight-hour-a-day job. It's 24/7, and we need to make sure that that is taken care of. And you agree, Donald Trump should be held to that same standard because he hasn't done that either. Absolutely, without question. Okay, there's only one problem. Donald Trump has not turned over his complete medical records. So well done, Dr. Carson, from shifting the onus of responsibility on Hillary to release her her full medical records to now Donald Trump's releases full medical records. Officially the worst campaign surrogate ever, Dr. Ben Carson. Okay, other things that I hate. So people have been emailing me, why don't you vote for Gary Johnson? You don't like Trump, why don't you vote for Gary Johnson? Because Gary Johnson's terrible. So Gary Johnson is the worst libertarian ever. Uh, he is not libertarian in any major respect. Uh, he has said that he's in favor of the government cramming down its view of, of commerce on people in spite of their religious liberty. And the other day, he's on Fox News, and he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on there, and I'm going to defend Black Lives Matter. And I'm going to do so by citing a bunch of statistics that are just not true. Here he is with, with uh, Eric Bowling. You said something the other day that really just kind of rocked my brain a little bit. You said you praise Black Lives Matter. Yes. And you also pushed back rather aggressively on the phrase, all lives matter. Why? No, well, not, not a pushback, but all lives do matter. But when it comes to whites, guess what? We're not being shot at the rate of six times blacks are being shot at. When it comes to the war on drugs, if you are of color, there's a four times more likelihood that you'll end up behind bars as opposed to being of color. So it's real. And Eric, uh, what, I, what I hope I said was, is look, I've had my head in the sand over this. I'd like everybody out there to watch that documentary on uh, O.J. Simpson and take a look at what transpired prior to the O.J. Simpson trial. Can I just clarify, though? Sure, yeah, sure. Blacks are being shot six times more often than whites. Yes. But they're committing eight times the amount of crime than whites. <laughs> well, but, but back to Rape. this... Back crime thing. Juan, you want to chime in? Yeah, like I'm, I'm, no, you same. know what, well, well, I'm here every day. Under those day. numbers, <laughs> blacks are being treated more fairly than whites what? under those numbers. Oh, well, yes. But, but now I'm back to, well, uh, the war on drugs. The war on drugs that unfairly uh, blacks are targeted, color is targeted as opposed to you being white. And, and, and I'm not talking true. Okay, now so about we can stop it. So he's citing all these statistics, and they're not true. I mean, maybe what Gary Johnson means is I should be in jail because I've smoked more pot than the entire state of Arizona. But 
But Gary Johnson, when he says that blacks are being targeted by law enforcement and drug crimes, that's not true, disproportionate to the amount of drug dealing that's going on. You know, when, when he talks about the, the sentencing, that's also not true. When he talks about the, the levels of crime versus the levels of shootings, that's not true. So he's citing all of these, these false statistics. By the way, when it comes to drug crimes, the vast, vast, vast majority of people in prison are not in prison on the basis of drug crime alone. Okay, most of the people who are in for drug possession were drug dealing, and then they were ca- and then they were pled down to a drug possession charge to do jail time. But and then the people who who actually stumped for the the stronger sentences for crack cocaine were black people from the inner city who were sick of watching crack cocaine ravage the inner city. But Gary Johnson, like like some some libertarians, doesn't like the government very much generally, and and therefore he's against law enforcement. Uh, more generally. But he's not a good libertarian. He's not even like a Rand Paul libertarian. So, for example, it now turns out that the libertarian nominee said he's no skeptic of man-made global warming and he's now endorsed a fee on carbon dioxide emissions. Yes, that's right. He now says, I believe climate change is occurring. I believe that it is man-caused and that there can be and is a free market approach to climate change. He says there should be a fee, but not a tax. That's called a tax, folks. Okay, so, so now he's in favor of, of Al Gore's plan for climate credits. And we've tried it in the state of California. It's been a dismal failure. Uh, Gary Johnson, the small government guy, coming out in favor of a policy that would basically destroy heavy industry in the United States. It's just it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. So, All right, time for a little bit of biblical analysis because, indeed, it is a Wednesday. So this week's Parsha, this, this week's Torah portion, every week, as I always explain, uh, there is a, there's a Torah portion, a, a portion of the five books of Moses that Jews read. By the end of the year, we've read through the entire Torah, the entire five books of Moses. Uh, this week's Torah portion is called Akev. It's from Deuteronomy. So here are the verses that I would like to go over. Here is Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 19. And it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I command you this day, lest you eat and be sated, and build good houses, and dwell therein, and your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have increases, and your heart grows haughty, and you forget the Lord your God, who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, who led you through the great and awesome desert, in which there were snakes and vipers and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought water for you out of solid rock, who fed you with manna in the desert, which your forefathers did not know, in order to afflict you and in order to test you, to benefit you in your end. And you will say to yourself, my strength and the might of my hand that has accumulated this wealth for me. But you must remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you strength to make wealth in order to establish that his covenant, which he chose, swore to your forefathers as it is this day. And it will be if you forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship them and prostrate yourself before them, I bear witness against you this day that you will surely perish. Okay, this is America in a nutshell. This is America in a nutshell. You know, when people talk about the continuing relevance of the Bible, this is America in a nutshell. So there's a new Pew poll out today that says a historic number of Americans no longer believe in God. A historic number of Americans no longer believe in God. According to Pew Research Center, 49% of people who, they, who say they're half of Americans who have left their church no longer believe in God at all. Another 20% said they don't like organized religion. So you know, they're basically saying there's an increase in atheism, essentially. Typically, the reason that people are given for why people become atheists is because they're disappointed in God, that they're very upset, that they're that they're that they're very upset that the uh, that you know God has done something they don't like, and so they're angry at God, and so they become atheists, and they say there is no justice to the universe. I'm done here. 
But you look at America and the belief in God, Europe and the belief in God, they're declining dramatically. Belief in God is, is declining dramatically. And you say to yourself, why could that possibly be? We're the richest, most prosperous, freest society in the history of the world. How could it possibly be that less people believe in God, fewer people believe in God because, uh, because of that? And the answer is right here in the Bible, right? The answer is that essentially we now believe that it is through our own hands. It is through the great grace of government. It's through the, com the communal body. It's through our own capacity. It's through our willingness to work. It's not because of the skill set that God gave us. It's not because of the freedoms that he gave us as part of our divine heritage. It's not because of any of that. It's because human beings are capable of doing great things. And that's why we ought to celebrate ourselves and we ought to diminish God because it's a little bit of an ego boost to think that we did it as opposed to God being involved in all of these things. And God promises if you forget that, if you forget that, then what you're going to end up doing is destroying yourselves. The reason that you end up destroying yourselves is because if you believe that humanity built all the good things and God had nothing to do with it, he didn't give you your skill set, he didn't give you your standards of morality, he didn't give you the Judeo-Christian basis of, of Western civilization, if you believe that, the natural outcome is man is so all-powerful, man is so wonderful, and man is so glorious that we can channel our energies communally toward building the Tower of Babel. Right? We can build great things, and we can sacrifice other human beings, because after all, other human beings don't have rights from God. God doesn't exist. Other human beings aren't important. Only the most skilled are important. They're the ones who really matter. And we can run roughshod over other people, because after all, we are the powerful ones. We're the powerful ones. When, when human beings believe they are the powerful ones, that is the road to tyranny. The road to tyranny is paved with the belief that human beings are the powerful ones in the universe, as opposed to the God who made them and crafted their rights. Once you believe that, it's not that God is saying, I'm going to punish you. That's the natural consequence. The natural consequence of your action is self-destruction. And we're watching that by Western civilization. We declared ourselves more powerful than God. We said that the rights that God gave us are less important than our ability to do what we want ourselves. And because of that, we are now in the process of turning on our own freedom and ramrodding it down and, and crushing it beneath our boots in the name of our own power. And that's a very scary place to be. So, you know, the only solution to this really is a little bit of humility. Okay, if you're smart, you're smart because God gave you the brains. If you grew up in America, that's because you were lucky enough to be born in the greatest nation of all. And if you are somebody who benefits from the rights that, that spring from the Judeo-Christian foundation of civilization, then maybe you ought to consider why it is that only Judeo-Christian civilization has ever respected these rights. Now, this isn't to say that you have to believe in God. You don't. You can be a good person and not believe in God. But a society that ditches God is bound in the end to worship man, and a society that worships man is bound in the end for Armageddon. Well, on that light note, we will, we will see you tomorrow, and, uh, and we will discuss all of the latest political happenings, plus the mailbag, which is why you should subscribe if you're not already doing so at dailywire.com. Check us out right there. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> Did you know that mRNA vaccines are approved for use in pigs in the United States? Not to mention 85% of the beef sold in your local grocery store is imported. In fact, over 5 billion pounds of meat was imported just last year. There's so much mystery surrounding our meat, which is why I'm so grateful for my Good Rancher subscription. I know that I don't have to worry about imported meat or unknown vaccines in the food that I feed my family. Good Ranchers is saying mRNO to mRNA by offering a free 10-pound Easter ham with any subscription. Unlike the pork from the grocery store, Good Ranchers ham is guaranteed 100% free from mRNA vaccines. This is a $119 value, absolutely free with code DAILYWIRE. Go to GoodRanchers.com and say mRNO to mRNA by subscribing today.
you have a right to know exactly what's in your food. And Good Ranchers is dedicated to protecting that right and providing your family with the best meat in America, free from any unknown and potentially harmful additives. Go to GoodRanchers.com and subscribe to any of their boxes and use code DAILYWIRE at checkout. Every subscription will come with a free Heritage Ham, $25 off, and Good Ranchers lifetime quality commitment. That's GoodRanchers.com, code DAILYWIRE.